you, worship team. Our scripture reading is going to come from John chapter 18. John chapter 18, the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you underneath one of the chairs, and it's page 904. Most of you know that in 2020, we set a record for the most tropical storms. Uh, In fact, uh, there were so many storms that we ran through the 21 conventional names, and only for the second time in history, we had to go to the Greek alphabet to start over again. And there were 30 total storms in 2020. I would suggest, however, that those storms weren't the biggest storms of 2020. In January, we had another storm make landfall in the state of Washington known as the coronavirus. About a month later, it claimed its first victim in February, and now the total stands at somewhere around 370,000. And just like a a hurricane comes ashore, it creates the conditions for tornadoes. So if you ever have watched something like this on television, I'm sure most of you had, there are all these tornado watches that pop up around the storm because the hurricane brings in conditions for other smaller storms to happen. And when the coronavirus came ashore, It created perfect conditions for other little storms, but significant damaging storms to happen, storms like maybe losing your job or financial stress, storms over the education of your children, storms over meetings, storms over masks, all these other smaller storms that were connected to the larger storm all came ashore in 2020 as well. Then there were the storms around the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. This added fuel to a racially tense culture. Some of it spun out looting and all kinds of issues around the police. And then this just created a, a more and more tension, more and more confusion, more and more uncertainty, more and more unrest, just like a storm does. And perhaps you were like me, sort of naively hoping somehow magically on January 1 that somehow the storms of 2020 would all pass away and finally come to an end. But those, those hopes were dashed on Wednesday when we faced a, a massive, really a massive storm blast in Washington, D.C., where dissent turned into disaster and dishonor. And probably the images of what happened there uh, will be burned in people's minds and memory for some time. I, I think about the police officers who are holding pistols in the House chamber through a piece of, looking through a piece of broken glass. I think of the the rioters in the Senate chamber standing up on the the main stage there. And of course the the per- person marching through the Capitol with the con- Confederate flag on his shoulder. These are all images that we we've all seen collectively as as a society and 
This is a big, big storm that continues on. I, I saw a little meme this week that said this, I'd like to cancel my subscription to 2021. I've experienced the free seven-day trial, and I'm not interested. This morning, I'm not here to make political statements about these storms. Instead, I just want to acknowledge the reality of the unrest that they create in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Whatever your take may be on it, and you can be all on one side or all on the other, it doesn't really matter. It creates a tremendous amount of tension. It creates a tremendous amount of, of unrest. And I want to address that unrest by reminding us that even in the fiercest storms, Jesus Christ is in control. I want you to say that with me. Jesus Christ is in control. Even in life's fiercest storms, whether they're cultural storms or whether they're just your own personal sort of internal storm, no matter what may be happening, Jesus is in control. And I want to remind us, the, remind us of this by reading through some verses in John 18 and 19. So let's start with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he's coming out of the upper room, the Last Supper, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. So, they asked, so Jesus asked them again, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. When Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what, they, what I've said to them. They know what I said. And we had said these things. One of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Verse 9, chapter 19, verse 9. Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said, said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? But Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me, 
and at all unless it has been given to you from above. Let's pray together. Lord, we stand here, we sit here, looking for the way, looking for truth, looking for light, looking for life. And you, you are uniquely all those things. And so would you help us see? Would you help us see ourselves? Would, would, would you help us see that you're in control? Would that cause us to trust, to be cautious, to be comforted, to be courageous today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And because we live on the coast, most of us understand that when you think about a hurricane, there's two kinds of winds associated with hurricanes. They're called circular winds or sometimes surface winds and prevailing winds. The, the circular winds are the winds that get judged by the speed. And so if you have a, a storm whose circular winds are over 74 miles per hour, then it's a Category 1 storm. If the storm reaches 155 miles an hour in the circular winds, then it's called a, a Category 5 storm. The circular winds, these are the ones that we see. These are the ones that we experience, the, the surface winds of a storm. But there are also prevailing winds. Prevailing winds are actually the steering currents that determine the direction of the storm. They're a bit different than the circular winds. The circular winds are what we experience but the prevailing winds are going to ultimately decide the direction of the storm. And when we come to John 18, I would suggest that we have come to a Category 6 hurricane. This is the biggest storm, I would say, ever to hit human history. And we have all kinds of circular winds and also prevailing winds. The circular winds, Jesus and his disciples... They're coming from uh, Jerusalem, they're coming down a valley to a, an olive orchard, and they're finding their sort of sacred place, their secret place, a, a little garden inside this olive grove called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is leading his little band of disciples to that direction, and at the same time, Joseph is coming out a different gate of Jerusalem, or Judas, and he's coming with another band of people, a band of soldiers who are carrying weapons. Those are all the, the cir circular winds. Those are the surface winds. Those are things that you can see, but there are other winds there that would be difficult for us to calculate the force of. Spiritual winds of this moment. Such force that Jesus is sweating drops of blood. John 18, the, the circular winds are at full speed, but the real question for us is, who will prevail? Who controls the ultimate direction of this storm? And as you read through the passage, one of the striking features is that all the characters believe that they're in control. When you, when you take the whole of 18 and 19 and you see every character, what they think is that they're actually in control. And you see that they're, they think they're in control because they exercise two divine characteristics. 
Or I might say, they're trying to exercise two divine characteristics. When you're in control, you think you see the future correctly. And so you bend circumstances to get to that preferred future. So they foresee, they have foreknowledge, hey, this is how this is supposed to turn out. And then they exercise their current power to make sure it goes in that direction. Foreknowledge and sovereignty are what these people are trying to exercise at this time. And I want us to look at the four main characters here. First, Pontius Pilate. read about him in chapter 19. He's the, the Roman authority in Israel. Pilate was for power. It's easily, easy to remember that. Pilate was for power. Or you might say, Pilate was for Pilate. That was his main theme for his life. I'm just for myself. And look, he's fine if there's regional religious leaders who exercise some sort of local authority. That's fine. But he wants to make sure everybody in that region understands that ultimately he's in control. He has the ultimate power. He has the ultimate authority. And historians say this is how Pilate displayed that. When he became the, the, the authority in that region, he brought the, the Roman headquarters in that region to Jerusalem. Previously, he had been in a different town. But he knows that's the seat of authority. That's the seat of power. And when he comes into that place, he brings big flags. They're called standards. Big post with a big flag on it. And on the flag, it has the name of the emperor and his image. And he posts these flags all around the temple. And it's a way of saying, hey, you religious people, I mean, you can have your own sort of way that you operate, but I want you to know that my flag and my face, they're more important than your religion. When it comes down to who you're going to follow, you're going to follow my flag and my face, even above your own religion. He's just making a visual statement to everyone in the region, here's the most powerful person, and in case you forget, my name's on the flag, and so is my face. And that's, Pilate is for power. And he exercises this same mentality, and we see it in chapter 19, when he faces Jesus. Verse 10 Pilate talks to Jesus and he says something like this. I know you're some kind of religious person, but Jesus, I need you to know something. I have all authority. Try to just imagine saying that to Jesus. I'm not even sure who you are. You're some kind of religious person. You've created quite a stir here. And I'm not too concerned about that. What I need you to know is that I have all authority. I can keep you alive or I can put you to death. In the end, Pilate foresaw that Jesus was going to create too much of a disturbance. And so he exercised his control to put Jesus to death. See, Pilate had no idea he was the one who needed to be set free. He's exercising his foreknowledge. He's exercising his power, his control. He thinks he can set free. He has no idea he's the one that's in prison. 
He has no idea he's the one who needs to be set free. Then we have the religious leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees. They too were afraid of losing power. Just a few days before Jesus comes into Jerusalem, if you've been in the church long enough, you know this as the triumphal entry. Everybody's saying, Hosanna, here comes our king. And the religious leaders see this and they say this, the whole world is going after Jesus. They see that it doesn't take a lot of incredible foreknowledge to see, hey, Jesus is is taking away our popularity. He's taking away our power structure. All the people who used to come to us are now going to him, and we just can't have that. People have to be religious according to the way we want them to be religious. And Jesus might turn this whole structure upside down, so they strike a deal with Judas. If we can peel off one of the inside guys... Maybe somebody who's really addicted to money. Surely there's one of them. And he can lead us to Jesus. And we'll have Jesus arrested and executed. So if Pilate, Pilate thinks he knows what's going on. Pilate thinks he has all the authority. The chief priests, the Pharisees, they think they know what's going on. They're trying to exercise their authority. Finally, we have Peter. Peter. He's got a master's degree in being with Jesus. Three years. Three years in graduate school with Jesus. Just think about that. Three years of just hanging out with Jesus. And he got to witness and be involved with some of the most incredible things. Peter's the only disciple that was able to walk on water because of Jesus' power. Peter is standing in this garden with clean feet. You know why? Because just a few hours before in the upper room, Jesus washed his feet. And he told Peter, this is what you're going to have to be like as the new leader of the church. The way I'm doing things, that's the way you're going to have to do them, Peter and the rest of the disciples. Peter had heard Jesus say statements like this over and over. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Yet at this critical moment, Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. It's not not the first time. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus, just like when we take our eyes off Jesus, something fills that void, and most of the time, it's fear. Fear fills that void. We get consumed by it, and then fear leads to a faulty assessment. See, when you're operating out of fear, you see things ahead that aren't actually true. And so Peter gets consumed by fear. He makes a faulty assessment, which is these circumstances don't look like they're turning out the way God would want them to turn out. So Peter exercises his control. And what is that? Pulls out a sword and starts chopping people's ears off. I think, and you can, you can think how you want, but this is how I was thinking about this. If you could have frozen Peter 
at the moment just before he's ready to bring down a sword and sort of stop the action and said, Peter, what are you doing? I, I think Peter would have said, what am I doing? What about what they're doing? Look at their swords. Look at their, their clubs. I'm just using the only power this world understands. I'm going to use my sword to save Jesus. <laughs> Poor Peter. He doesn't, Jesus never needs to be saved, in case you didn't know. Peter needs to be saved. And the way he's got it worked out in his mind is because of fear, it's got to go down this way. And the only way to get it over there is for me to use this raw power so I can get the way it really should be to go. And in the end, maybe that's not the way God wants it, but the end is the way God wants it, so it'll all work out. Isn't it interesting that in this scene, Nobody has a clue about what God is doing. Pilate doesn't have a clue. The most powerful person has no clue what God is doing. The religious people, no clue what God is doing. The star pupil, Peter, no clue about what God is doing. They're all caught up in the circular winds And they're not aware of a prevailing wind that's happening at this same time. Nobody's aware of that except for Jesus. Now, to be sure, Jesus is going to be affected by these circular winds. These surface winds that are happening right here at this moment, they're going to put Jesus to death. But Jesus understands that there is a prevailing wind. And that's the prevailing wind of the will of his heavenly Father. So one question I have for us here this morning is everybody's affected by surface winds in your life. And everyone has them right now. Now maybe in your life those winds are a gentle breeze. I hope it is. But for many of us, we have these category one to category five sort of hurricane force winds running through our lives. And I want to ask you, are you you dealing with these out of fear? Because if if you are, fear creates a faulty assessment. And that faulty assessment leads to foolish actions. We're all affected by the surface winds, but my question really is, are you directed by them? See, we're all being affected, but is there a prevailing wind in our lives, in our soul, that we say, hey, even though there's a great storm up here and I am being affected by it, it isn't going to ultimately prevail in my direction. Maybe I should think of it this way, maybe help you think of it this way with an illustration. Are you more like a balloon or an airplane. We go outside today, and if it was a windy day, and we let a helium balloon go, guess where it goes? Wherever the surface wind wants to take it. But if you get in an airplane, 
at ILM and you're hoping to go to California and there's a strong west wind, I bet you hope the plane's still going to get you to California. Because there's a power about the plane that's bigger and can overcome the prevailing west wind. And so my question for us, my question for me is, when you get out into the culture and there's all kinds of surface winds, are you more like a balloon? Well, I just get out there and I'm gotten, I've gotten caught up in the whole spiral of it, or am I more like an airplane? I see these winds, they do affect me, they might cause drag, but I'm heading in one particular direction. I, I'm going to continue to go in that direction. I'm going to end up in the place that I set out for. The last and most important character to examine in the account is, is Jesus. What we witness here is his absolute confidence and calm control. It's incredible. Here he is. He's in the midst of the, of the greatest storm that's ever hit planet Earth. And all this chaos, he's the only one who's confident. He's the only one who's calm. Because he, he's been seeing this end. He's been telegraphing this end to his disciples. Back in John chapter 10, verse 17, he tells them this, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. So in John chapter 18, verse 6, we see Jesus is in control. Jesus and Peter and a couple of other disciples have come out of this prayer time. They meet Judas and this band of, of soldiers. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says these very powerful words, I am in the Greek. It's an Old Testament reference to God's name. And when he says it, it's like a, he he. He splits himself open and, and, and displays a little bit, a little sliver of his divinity, leaks out. Well, when it leaks out, what happens? <coughs> Everyone falls down. Maybe telegraphing that one day every knee shall bow. One day. But this day, just these people, to make sure that Judas understands Peter understands, the soldiers understand, the one person in control here, it's me, Jesus. So they get back up, and I guess they're like, uh-oh, I've never had to deal with this. Any, I mean, I don't know what they set, feel like, so when he asks them again, who are you looking for? I'd be like, I don't know, maybe we got the wrong name here. <laughs> but he's just trying to help us to understand that even in the most chaotic moments, he's actually in control. It's, it's crucial for us to see that Jesus' control isn't restricted by evil. Oh, I was going to do something, but these evil people had a plan, and now I've got to adjust. No, he's not restricted by evil. He's not restricted by the stupidness of his followers. He's not like, well, I mean, I was going to do something, but stupid Peter is always getting in the way, and now I've got to go in a different direction. No, he's not restricted by those things. 
Jesus has foreknowledge to know exactly how this situation is going to play out, and he has the power to bend even evil desires to accomplish his will. In John 18, after all that you know, do you think there was any possibility that Jesus believes that what's taking place here is some accident? Does he step forward and say, gosh, I can't believe they found me. I came to the secret garden. No. Do you you think there's any possible way that what went through Jesus' mind is maybe God's not in control here? No. You know that's not true because of verse 11, and I want you to look at it with me. Here's what Jesus says at the concluding of this moment. I will drink the cup. What does it say? The Father has given me this chaos this storm it's a cup that god is giving me to drink and no matter the cost of it i'm going to trust that he's in complete control god has the power to prevail in this situation he has the power to prevail even over death itself jesus knows in the end God's going to get the last word. I wonder if you believe that. If you really believe it. It's something to be settled here. Because when you go to a hospital... And your son is dying. Your father is dying. You are dying. That's not a good place to settle that question. The question is, no matter the storm, do you, do I, do we really believe, do, have we fully embraced the truth that All of my mistakes, all of the circumstances, all the misguided advice from my friends, all the evil intent from other people, even my own death, none of that gets the last word. God gets the last word. Do you believe that? For those here who are maybe searching for Christ or maybe not a Christ follower in any way, who are you following? Who do you think has control? I mean, are you like Pilate and Peter and the chief priest? You you basically know what should go on in the world. You see it right for most the most part. You use all your resources, sort of bend it towards your will. How does this passage help us today as followers? Of Jesus, let me mention three things, and I'll close. First, and maybe obvious, is that we should be very cautious about what you think you know. Let me say that again. When you read this passage, it should cause every person, even the person who feels like, "But I'm a star pupil." To be very cautious about what you think you know, especially in the middle of a crisis. 
All these people were clueless about what God was doing. Every one of them made a faulty assessment. All those faulty assessments led to foolish actions for all of them. So we need to be careful. Because we can be like Peter. And we can believe that we're taking the right steps by using power to get our way. When it's very possible you're going in the very opposite direction of the way God is working. It's at least possible. I'm not saying you're always going in the opposite direction. I'm just asking you to be cautious. To be careful about what you think you know. The second way this helps us is it should create a great deep comfort or calmness in our soul. I woke up this morning and I just went, Jesus is in control. And that might be a great first prayer for you before you got out of bed in 2021. I wish that that had been my prayer all of 2020. Jesus has already reminded his first century disciples, in this world you will have, what does he say? Terrific times. Oh, I wish that's what it said in the Greek. But it says trouble. But take heart. See, I've overcome the world. Jesus was in control on this dark day. In John 18, he's in control today. Now I want to say a word to especially young people here high school, college, because you absorb all this information. And if you're on social media or you're just on the news, anything, you just hear a lot of um, over-exaggerated language. And I want you to listen for idolatry. Let me give you a definition from Tim Keller. One of the signs that an object is functioning as an idol is that fear becomes one of the chief characteristics of life. One of the sure signs something is functioning as an idol is fear is, at, is functioning through this person. If your counterfeit God gets threatened in any way, the response is complete panic. We don't say, well, oh, what a shame, or this is going to be difficult. No, we say, this is the end, there is no hope. Now, when you hear young people, somebody say, this is the end, this is no hope, they have a functional idol, a false idol. Because if you believe in Jesus, there is no end. Amen? And there is always hope, even through the grave. So I want you to be careful that you're not saying these kinds of phrases Or if you are, even in your heart, then you just need to recognize you have a functional idol operating at the center. Listen for idolatry. So it should cause us to be cautious. It should cause us to have great calm because Jesus is in control. And finally, it should remind us to have disciplined courage. That's Jesus. He's the one who's standing in the middle of the storm. He doesn't run away. He doesn't chop off anybody's ear. 
he calmly stands there and tells the truth. Fully understanding that telling the truth might cost your life. Why do I say discipline courage? Why do I use that phrase? Because, you know, cautious, calm, courageous, that's a lot better. Cautious, calm, disciplined courage. Just before they stepped out and met this band of soldiers, what, what were Jesus and Peter doing? Do you remember? Jesus was earnestly praying, and Peter was earnestly sleeping. And so when the crisis came, only one of them was ready. And you see it in their action. See, if you don't have the discipline to be praying, to read your Bible, to be full of the Holy Spirit, when you come to the crisis or when the crisis comes to you, you're going to start pulling out your sword. And I wonder if you've ever done this. Not, not, not with a real sword, I hope not. But I wonder if you've ever pulled out your verbal sword. Somebody comes at you and you're like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I'll just cut you to pieces. And you have to back up and say, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? You weren't ready for that moment. So it takes disciplined courage. So when the crisis comes, you know exactly how to act and exactly what to say. Close with this true story. India is a place that I've been a number of times and it's close to my heart. We I have a great relationship with Benny Matthews, the head of Alpha ministry that we support for pastors. And if you ever uh, read something called The Voice of the Martyrs, V-O-M, Voice of the Martyrs, if you don't, you should click on it and get it come to your email. It tells a story um, that happened just this year about a man, 27-year-old man, I think his name is pronounced Conde Mundu. Kande Mundu. He was a Hindu, as most people in India are, before coming to know Jesus in 2018. And when he came to know Jesus, he tried to help his family understand Jesus and other people. And that word got out and tremendous pressure came against him. His home was attacked. His mother was physically assaulted. Following the attack, Kande told his wife, who they have two children together, that another attack would come. And she just, he just wanted her to be prepared. The attack did come on June 17th of this past year, 2020. As he was walked out by the Hindu soldiers, he turned and told his wife this, I may be killed tonight. but I will never attack these people. Never give up your faith, even if I'm killed. And the next day they found his body on a roadside. I may be killed tonight, but I'm not going to attack these people because I don't use that kind of power. I use a different kind. What kind of fiber does that take? When your mother has been assaulted, 
when they're coming to take you and probably your life away and your wife is going to be left destitute with two children and you have the courage, the disciplined courage to say, I'm not going to attack, I'm not going to pull out a sword because this is not the way there's a prevailing wind for Conde. And I'm just wondering if you know that wind, I don't know what 2021 is going to be like. But it's necessary to settle right now, right here in your minds and your hearts that Jesus is in control. Let's pray. Lord, this is the all-powerful living word of a holy God. And you have a way of taking it through my vocal cords into the, the minds and the hearts and the souls of every person here. And I pray that they would have ears to hear and courage, courage to trust. That, that even if they're going to be harmed, if harmed befall them, they're just not going to fight in the same way the world fights. They're going to put away the sword and take up the cross and follow you home. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.